0: Arsenal sees red, red-red, as a nightmare week ends with another loss at Stamford Bridge, while City's pair of 2-1 losses cost them their perfect league record while continuing their pattern in Europe. Leicester is now the league's only undefeated side, while United bounced back from a midweek misfortune by claiming second place in the Premiership. Welcome everybody to this edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. This week's first European match is in a disappointment for much of the Premier League. Because although Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham got encouraging results, the humbling Juventus, PSV, and Dinamo Zagreb handed some of the league's best, again put England's current place in perspective. Thankfully, we could forget all that starting early Saturday morning Eastern time. As Premier League Soccer returned and Kartik, it returned with what's always one of the more telling matches of the season, even if it often tells us the same thing. Of course, I'm referring (laughs) to Arsenal's annual visit to Stamford Bridge. And for what Arsene Wenger is, an annual nightmare, uh, did Saturday's 2-0 win for Chelsea tell us anything different than what we learn every year?
1: Uh, No. Unfortunately, it taught me that, uh, once again, Arsenal is not ready to step up to in, in these sorts of big time games and, and, and do what they need to do to get a result. And that there's, uh, I, I know there's a lot we'll get into about, uh, the official and, and sending yeah, offs, but they're, ju- they're, they're just not, their mentality is not there yet. And we learned once again, when Chelsea's back is to the wall, even though things have gotten, um, gotten sort of strange at the bridge in the last month uh, or so that, uh, they will come out fighting and they will, uh, they will do what they need to do to get results. So uh, unfortunately, it just reinforced a lot of our stereotypes pr- prior to the kickoff of the Premier League season on August 9th when we began to see uh, Chelsea go downhill and uh, and Arsenal look like they might have uh, uh, they may, may have turned a corner. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. didn't teach us a whole lot.
0: You know, I hate to turn this into Arsenal mentality talk again because it seems like we've had this discussion for six or eight years now or really possibly ever since Patrick Vieira left Arsenal. And it seems like we come to the same conclusions. But I I think we can start to look at this a little bit of a different way. But let's save that towards the end of this segment. Uh, Let's talk about kind of what actually happened. Uh, Arsenal finishes the match with nine men. Uh, Even even strength, the game was nil-nil, although Chelsea had the better of possession throughout that first half. And then the turning point, the... The incident we have to talk about, Diego Costa really turned this match in the most notorious and nefarious way, but not in a way that anybody who knows his career would be surprised with. He seemed to target Lauren Koscielny, who, to his credit, did not react as Diego Costa swung an arm at him at one point, pushed two hands into his face at one point, jumped up from the ground and knocked him on his back at one point, and then it was Koscielny's inexperienced partner. Gabriel Paulista, that came to his defense, ended up drawing one yellow card by kind of sarcastically, heavy-handedly patting Diego Costa, a pat that Diego Costa also shared with him, and then drew a straight red card for essentially kicking up at him. It wasn't a dangerous kick, but as they were in position for a long ball from the goal box, Polista backed into Costa and then kicked up his left leg into his. Carter, just give me your reaction to that whole sequence because obviously Arsene Wenger had some very pointed comments about it, but uh, I think I agree with Wenger's take on it. Costa was pretty despicable and Polista screwed up.
1: Yeah, that would be my take also and unfortunately Costa is almost always despicable. He's winding guys up constantly and players are retaliating and getting sent off or uh getting booked or getting fouls and it's uh it's an advantage. It's a psychological advantage that he that he has. Uh over the opponent. Uh, he did this as a, at, at Atleti also. He's done this throughout his career. Uh, he's known for it. Yeah, and he never gets sent off in games. That's what's equally amazing. I mean, yeah. he, he eventually gets suspended because he accumulates enough uh, bookings, but he never gets, he hasn't been sent off in years.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been three years, and it was in Champions League for Atletico. It was the year before they made their run to the final, so he didn't get sent off that year. And Kyle Martino made this point on NBC. You can say it's reckless behavior on his part, except for it's not. Because he so clearly and so adroitly walks that line between being a nuisance and being a problem to his team. It's impossible for me to say that he is a problem to his team, even if he is a problem to my sensibilities.
1: Right, and uh, so is his manager. His manager is a problem to all our sensibilities. Anyone who's objective, he's a problem too. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was a good act.
0: Good act by him after the game, trying to convince us that uh, football needs Diego Costa. Football does not need Diego Costa. Football was fine before Diego Costa. And although a lot of the notions of chivalry in the game that we often make fun of in this podcast are worth making fun of a little bit of that sensibility would be good in evaluating this Costa situation Kartik, because this is not a bright spot for English football. In fact, the, the fact that the premiership tolerates this and hopefully they won't in this situation, but the fact that the premiership tolerates this is a black mark to me.
1: Yeah, and the Premier League has allowed uh, Jose Mourinho to essentially, uh, in two different sense at Chelsea, create this bunker mentality, this victimization complex within oh, his, his team that uh, that comes out in these in this fashion. Do not think that this is just a rogue player. Okay, yes, he had a history of it it's at Atleti also, but this is this is their behavior, the behavior of a lot of Chelsea support, uh, fans, oh, sorry, Chelsea players and supporters, actually, for that matter, but Chelsea players in these sorts of matches, particularly when Wenger is on the other side, right? Because that's, mm-hmm. that gets Mar- uh, Mourinho all fired up, or Pellegrini, one of those two, gets them all fired up. Um, there are these sorts of games, uh, gamesmanship. It comes from the manager. I'm convinced of that. The manager, uh, Mourinho, will tell uh, Costa, start winding him up. Wind up Koscielny. And to Kashelny's credit, he didn't retaliate. Uh, this is there's a tolerance of Mourinho in the English press, and there's just just pervasive attitude towards the things he brings to English football, Mourinho, and then by extension, Costa. That yeah. having been said, players have to be their managers, like Wenger, have to have to impart: yeah. don't let the guy wind you up, don't yeah. retaliate.
0: Yeah, those memories of Michael Ballack and Didier Drogba and John Terry hounding officials week after week. We almost took it for granted during those years after Mourinho waned, after that leadership group started to filter out of Stanford Bridge, that Chelsea really wasn't that team anymore. But Mourinho has reinstilled that mentality. And when you have foot soldiers like Diego Costa in there, it's really easy to get back to that very quickly. Uh, But you mentioned about Arsene Wenger here. I really have to put a lot of the blame on him. We talk about preparation every week. We talk about how coaches instill plans and attitudes and that arson wenger either one elected to start an inexperienced person in central defense granted Murda wasn't ready, but he could have started Callum Chambers in there who has more Premier League experience. But even more than that, that he wasn't able to get the message across to this player that Costa should not be messed with. And Arsene Wenger even harped on this after the match as if this is Polista's fault. This is a joint shared issue, I think. If you put a player out there that's unprepared to deal with the circumstances of the match, you either have to put that on yourself or you have to question why you selected that player to begin with.
1: Right. And Mourinho, getting back to, to, to the other manager, he knows how frail mentally uh, Wenger's teams are. That's yeah. why he's beaten them or, or drawn them every time it's he's ridiculous. played him in the league competition, right? He's 16 times, he's never lost to him. And he, I am sure he told uh, Costa, at some point, let's start winding, uh, winding up the Arsenal players. And, <laughs> or maybe it just and, goes
0: unsaid at this point. They just, they're just so, they they're so simpaticos as coach and player that they just instinctively know when the other person wants them to hit the gas pedal on that.
1: Right, right, exactly. Um, and this is, this is something Wenger hasn't figured out. He hasn't been able to get his team to be mentally strong enough to resist the barbs from Mourinho and, and Chelsea players. This has been going on since 2005. Uh, the Chelsea-Arsenal uh, series was like this at when Mourinho was gone as well. Hmm. I mean, I remember games where Terry and Drogba would get in the official space, get in the face of, uh, of, of of the Arsenal players. Drogba used to score in every game. He used to get in the head of the Arsenal def- uh, defenders. And this would be uh, the period when Mourinho was gone. But it, it, that mentality had just lasted through the Mourinho years. Uh, a V B began to root those guys out. So uh, Chelsea became a little more likable for for neutrals, uh, but then Mourinho came back a year later or two years later and it's right back.
0: And it's where the, we were before. It's the second time in four days that a terrible red card has happened. Now, you can look at Olivier Giroud's red card midweek in isolation and just say, well, he lost his head going in for that second challenge and he should have realized that it wasn't worth it. And you can look at Gabriel's actions today and say, oh, or yesterday and say, oh, well, that's a weird circumstance because Diego Costa. These are both players that are making poor decisions that other players wouldn't make, that coaches can prepare them for, and twice within the span of a week, it's cost Arsenal. So the commonality well, here well, is is the environment they're in.
1: Right, and picking up on that environment. So uh, they should have had a player sent off in, in the keeper, David Espina, uh, at midweek uh, when they were chasing the game, and then they did have Cthola sent mm-hmm. off on Saturday. Same thing. They lose their composure once uh, things go wrong they're chasing the game. They're recklessly flying out uh, into challenges. So Spina took a guy yeah. out uh, from Zagreb. I-, I could not believe that wasn't a red card. I still think maybe Weffer does something retroactively about that. Uh, and-, and at that point, they were down two nil. They got a goal back after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just there's this mentality at Arsenal that, uh, and uh, man, I love Arsene Wenger. I-, I love the principles he brings to this sport and the integrity he brings. Uh, and I wanted to see them be successful, but. Yeah. Again, you see, unfortunately, the resourcefulness—if you want to call it that—that's a generous term—the the uh, the, uh, <laughs> cu- the cutting edge of Chelsea. Yeah,
0: definitely. The ruthlessness.
1: Euphemism. The ruthlessness is the word I should use of Chelsea. Yeah. Again, winning out over Arsenal and maybe wins out over everyone else in the Premier League in these sorts of games because of the Mourinho mentality.
0: Yeah, it is a type of sad pragmatism. Let's let's talk about Chelsea's actual play though. Coming off a four-nil win over Maccabi Tel Aviv midweek, a lot of people are going to look at this two-nil result over Arsenal and try to cast this into a turning point. I don't know if I buy it, Kartik. I definitely think in that first half, they played... Better than maybe they have at any point in the Premier League this season, which isn't saying much because they've been generally terrible. But I actually want to put some of this on Arsenal, too, because I just don't think they played very well. I don't think they asked a suspicious or a suspect defense very many questions. And you see Arsenal only had about a third of the ball in the first half. And we talk about the principles of Arsene Wenger and how you and I both admire them. But that isn't the same principle as far as how a team should be playing, that we've seen throughout most of Wenger's time at, at Arsenal. And while that has served them well over the last year, it just seemed really meek at some points during the first half on Saturday.
1: Yeah, they they looked very poor. And I, I felt like Chelsea was always going to get a goal in the game and maybe went one, yeah. one 1-0, even 11 v 11. And that was disappointing. Again, I was so disappointed by Arsenal's. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the red cards and Costa. The mentality they came out with. This was a chance to really put their rivals to the sword. This was an opportunity for Wenger to finally get one over Mourinho when it mattered and to send Chelsea into a a, a spin, a crisis spin that they may not get out of the rest of the season. And instead, what we're talking about is Costa, red cards, Arsenal's mentality is Chelsea back in the title race, the complete opposite narrative of what we were talking about coming into this match. So it was very disappointed. And I have to say, I don't – Chelsea hasn't shown me anything with their play yeah. that leads me to think they're back in this title race. However, as long as Jose Mourinho – and I hate to harp on this. and I know there are going to be a lot of people who don't like this, but there are a lot of people who agree with us or agree with me on this. As long as Jose Mourinho continues to have enablers in the media, enablers among some of the officials in England who, who, who look, look – who are having trouble judging what goes on on, on the pitch and has uh, enablers in the Chelsea supporters base – I Chelsea's probably going to work their way back into this title race because they will get results like this mm. because they're winding people up and because Mourinho winds and the officials make a call one way because they're scared of his wrath after a match and this has been a continuous theme in any league he's been in and he always comes out ahead for whatever reason. I mean I, I, obviously at a at a certain point the clubs he's involved with want to dispose of him but there doesn't if Chelsea if Roman Abramovich is not there yet then um you know they might work their way back into the title race just through pure uh, uh, ruthlessness as i said earlier
0: i want to go back to something else that has been kind of an undercurrent of your your analysis in this segment, you know, you were pretty high on Arsenal coming into the year. You weren't necessarily saying that they were going to um, compete for a title at the same level that other people were. But you were acknowledging that they probably going to build on a, a decent finish last year and the acquisition of Peter Cech. But I'm sensing a lot of disappointment in what you saw on Saturday and maybe a, maybe a re- reevaluation of what you think the Gunners are capable of this year.
1: Yeah, I, I have to admit that I was, uh, I was a little very disappointed by the performance, and I don't want to overreact to one result or one performance, but Arsenal hasn't seemed right all season. They didn't seem right against Liverpool at, at, uh, at the Emirates, and we know Liverpool has been terrible yeah. since that game. Liverpool wasn't particularly good coming into that game either, even though they had six points mm-hmm. going into that. Uh, the Palace game, they were very fortunate to win. Uh, the West Ham game, obviously, they got beat. Uh, we're just, just not seeing it. Now, that having been said, Arsenal did... Uh, they always have periods and seasons after they get through this initial kind of bump where where they surge. Um, the league is competitive enough this year that if they can get it together, they will be in the title conversation. However, if they don't show that they can get results in matches like Saturdays, then they're not going to win the title.
0: Hmm. Well, Costa, Gabriel, Mourinho, Wenger, we can literally spend this whole podcast talking about just that game because, The ripple effect from that game could be felt throughout both of those squads throughout the rest of the year, or it could just be another game, but we could we could spend the next 40 minutes talking about that. As is, there was a whole weekend of action in the Premier League, and it started on Saturday. It was a big game, but a demoralizing performance for Aston Villa, whose attack never clicked in a 1-0 loss at home to West Brom. Sunderland stayed firmly buried at the bottom of the table after conceding twice in the first nine minutes. Bournemouth claimed their second victory of the season, 2-0. Watford's fine form continues to yield full points, winning their second in a row with a 2-1 victory at Newcastle. And for the second time in as many weeks, Leicester came back from a two-goal deficit, their 2-2 draw at Stoke, marking the second time this season the Potters have given up a 2-0 lead in the second half of a match. Swansea and Everton played the game that, well, you'd, you'd probably expect from Swansea and Everton. A bunch of nice players playing decent soccer, but no goals. And the surprise of the weekend, but a surprise that's become common for the Hammers this season, saw West Ham take full points at the Etihad with a 2-1 victory over Manchester City. On Sunday, Sun Hyun Min scored his third goal in two games as Spurs solved Crystal Palace 1-0. Southampton, for the second time this season, concedes three times at home, losing 3-2 to Manchester United. And Liverpool give up the second half lead they earned through Danny Ings in a 1-1 draw with Norwich at Anfield. Despite their loss, City continues to set the pace in the league with 15 points through six rounds. But remarkably, Manchester United are only two points back. West Ham and Leicester are tied for third, while Arsenal slipped out of the top four. When we come back to Kartik and our conversation about this weekend's actions, we'll focus on the action at the Etihad, then focus on St. Mary's. But first, let's get a word in from our sponsors. Or rather, let's just talk about our sponsors. Because at this point, you know that Rabble TV is a sponsor of this podcast. You know, Champions League is here, as is Europa, and of course, the Premier League continues, and they all give us so much to talk about. But one way to really build on that conversation, check out Rabble.tv because it's a new type of television and audio experience. Rabble.tv is a place to listen to live match commentaries, but from real fans while the games are being played live and the way it works is simple. All you have to do is tune into your game, but press the mute button. Then you head over to Rabble.tv to listen to other fans providing their own calls of the games. Or better yet, you can create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games, invite all your friends to listen to it. They can interact with you and you can do all this by signing up for free and switching on your microphone. With Rabble, you can listen to the broadcast on your desktop. If you're out and about, you can listen on your iOS app, or you can listen through your mobile browser. Just go to rabble.tv today, sign up today, try it out, because it's your team and it's your call. And you know, rabble.tv isn't just for calling matches. We actually have a person here who has a live weekly show on rabble.tv. Kartik, how's Divers and Cheats going?
1: Divers and Cheats is going great. We've been uh, dealing with some of the bigger topics in U.S. soccer, and we haven't really gotten to the to the global game yet, although it's connected to the global game via the FIFA scandal, which we we've ended up talking a lot mm. about and about promotion and relegation the last few weeks. So it's been going well Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. I actually, uh, independent of, of, of World Soccer Talk, uh, launched my uh, another rabble show. No, it's not. That's the uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers post game show that oh, we're nice. doing after every striker's game with uh with someone uh, sometimes we're trying to get a fan from from the other team or we get a a, a fan uh here in South Florida uh, starting next week i think we're going to have some coach uh, coach audio and uh some team contribution to it the team has been very very supportive and and they wanted to see this show launched uh they've asked me for a while to do a show uh, about the team and and with Rabble, i have that platform so it goes back to uh, the, the, the usefulness of Rabble. Mm. And it's, it's all anything you want to do sports-wise, uh, uh, soccer-wise, beautiful game-wise, they are very, very accommodating.
0: Mm. 2015 is quite the amazing place for a lot of reasons. Um, one of them is that West Ham United... has become a giant killer. Maybe we should put it, they've become a giant killer again. But after winning earlier this year at Arsenal, uh, frankly embarrassing Liverpool uh, at Anfield, they had a very good 30 minutes this weekend at the Etihad Kartik and then a stalwart defensive performance to get a 2-1 victory over Manchester City. A Manchester City team that not only uh, was perfect coming into this weekend. Defensively, they were perfect. I guess that's where I'd like to start with you. You and I exchanged some DMs. Vincent Company did not recover from his calf injury in time here. And I really don't think it's that much of a stretch to suggest if Vincent Company had been healthy for this game, City would still be unscored on this year.
1: Yeah, it, the the, um, the problem of putting Odomendi in, the end, it kind of uh, without any sort of prep in the Premier League at that center back position and play, pairing him with yeah. Mangala. And Who, zero... of course, he played, they played together before, but uh, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I was going to say um, they've had zero league minutes together this year, like 16 right. minutes together total because of the substitute appearance. But like you said, uh, they had played together uh, before, albeit at a lower level.
1: Right. Well, yeah, in, in another European league. So they. Uh, the, the, the communication didn't seem to be uh, there. I, I, I felt like uh, in this game Alexander Kolorov struggled at the left back position. Hmm. Uh, this is again a situation where West Ham they've gotten Victor Moses on loan from uh, Chelsea. Chelsea has uh, re-signed Victor Moses to a long-term extension and they keep loaning him out each season <laughs> and it seems like that maybe their plan is to take, uh, take points from their, their title rivals to have him play. <laughs> Although the one year they loaned them to Liverpool, I would point out Liverpool finished ahead of Chelsea in the table. But that's uh, that was probably a one off. It, it's it's interesting to watch West Ham, though, because they bomb forward uh, with numbers, which they really never did under Sam Allardyce. And they've got um, this very kind of cosmopolitan squad that that's been built uh the combination of Allardyce's buys once they came back into the Premier League, mm-hmm. and then uh, this summer under uh, under Slaven Village, they, they're they're determined to be in a good place when they open the Olympic Stadium or when they move into the Olympic Stadium. And that, this is it, it's been reflected in their away form. Uh, this was a very very strong performance. Adrian came back in, in between the pipes. He had been suspended and. Uh, had a, had a remarkable game, uh, but I, West Ham—they just have a mentality to them. They went to Arsenal and won on the opening day. We talked about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the
1: win at Liverpool was remarkable because they just that uh, that the they were good value for that three nil. It wasn't yeah. one of those flukish type of uh, uh, score lines. And then uh, yes, yesterday at the Etihad, Manchester City were the better team, but West Ham decided, yeah. uh, deserved the three points because they got they got uh, they went right at City, which no one does uh, mm-hmm. away from home against Manchester City. No one uh, counterattacks like that and pu- pushes numbers forward against uh, against the City team. And they sensed the vulnerability with company out and took advantage.
0: Yeah, City were the better team, but this is one of those performances where if these two teams played again with the same quality. City probably wins this game 88-92 times out of 100. But... West Ham adopted a strategy that really maximized their chances of beating a very good team in a difficult environment, and they got it. Part of that is just purely where the goals fell in the game. I mean, you get a 2-0 lead in the first half hour of a game, you're going to have a significant advantage over the last 60 minutes. Even then city had so many chances and so many well-generated chances too. You have to give uh, West Ham's goalkeeping and the back line of their defense credit, because in front of that city was having their way with the game and they were generating good chances. A lot of block shots, some good saves from Adrian making his return from that kind of funny suspension. Um, it, West Ham absolutely deserve their three points. And yeah, this isn't a result that's going to be replicated that often, but it's a result that we like to see sometimes. It it lets us know that there is some variance in the game of soccer. But let's go back to that defensive card too, because I thought it was very interesting. And I think it really shows us a lot about what defensive partnerships are made of, because you do have to have a leader. You have to have somebody that is going to organize the two of you as well as the rest of the defense in conjunction with the goalkeeper in conjunction with the defensive midfielder in front of him but you also need somebody and this is what company is very good at most of the time he's very bad at this last year to step into midfield and actually challenge somebody to win a ball to make it so the play that victor moses scored his goal on doesn't just leave joe hart there to make a really great save. I'm not saying Joe Hart shouldn't have stopped that ball, but it was a much more difficult situation without Mangala stepping up to close that space, knowing that Otamendi, where Ultimendi was going to be. I just think that it really shows you how valuable it is to have a clear leader in the back line because yesterday they didn't have one.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm still a little curious. This is this is a question from Manuel Pellegrini. and Obviously, it's a player he liked a lot. He brought him from Malaga over. I don't know why Martin D. Michaelis isn't starting in this sort of situation. He, I,
0: yeah, I agree with that.
1: That that uh, and that was. One of the big takeaways from City supporters after yesterday's game was uh, De Michaelis was the best defender on Manchester City last year. The previous year, he had he had basically shut down Luis Suarez in, in that uh, epic game with Liverpool, which uh, City ended up losing at the end because of Company's mistake own goal, uh, but then still won the title when Chelsea uh, beat Liverpool a couple weeks later. But uh, last season, De Michaelis he, he he's slow. And obviously he's slowing down even more at his yeah. age. And he, he had a Copa America campaign with Argentina, but his positioning sense is really good. Yeah. And he's so good on the ball, his distribution out of, uh, the, uh, out of the back when yeah. he's playing at center back, is as good as anyone in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't buy the... I've never bought the criticisms of Dean McKellis because they've been the same criticisms we heard all the way going back to Bayern. And I think part of the problem is we really pick out when people m- make mistakes one-on-one, actual physical mistakes. But when they make mental mistakes or positioning mistakes... We don't take note of those so much because they're less obvious. You have to make assumptions about what the player should be doing instead of just looking at his physical actions. And I think that's probably where some of the distance regarding DeMichaelis actually takes place. Um, but I agree with you. Starting him with either one of those two yesterday, I think would have been better. Uh, Kartik, West Ham, let's keep talking about them before switching to City. How good are they really? Because uh, we've seen these three results, even though you and I probably... Don't think much of Arsenal or Liverpool right now. There's still probably teams that are going to finish in the top seven or top eight, definitely with Arsenal. So West Ham has gotten three – they've gotten full points at three of their tougher trips of the season.
1: Yeah, they've gotten three of their probably five toughest trips of the season out of the way. And they've gotten full points from them. That's just remarkable. They're, uh, they've got a mentality. Maybe it's a freshness uh, in, in, in the approach – uh, Sam Allardyce is a very regimented manager, very strict tactically, uh very uh, strict training-wise. Maybe uh this is what they needed. I mean, I thought it was a very strange decision not not I not strange because we knew it was coming but an unwise yeah. decision by west ham to release sam allardyce after last season and i was thinking my goodness
0: it was, he's kept kept yeah. you in the league and nobody we didn't really talk about it that much too it was just accepted as something that was going to happen without us really stopping and going wait a minute who else are you going to get besides the guy who brought you back up and has kept you in the league
1: yeah it, to me it was a bizarre decision and it was again about footballing philosophy in West Ham is one of these clubs. They're mm-hmm. probably the the, the the number one club in England as far as style and their obsession long-term obsession with with style.
0: Yeah, with the aesthetics of how they actually play the game. Right. So th- that's why
1: they went in and they got Billich, who was playing more of a kind of West Ham game. Uh, but they don't. Again, West Ham doesn't have the, the 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 kind of guys coming through their system that they used to. They used to be the elite club for mm-hmm. developing players in England. They're not anymore. Now oh, Southampton yeah. is. That's good.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I, I agree there.
1: Uh, uh, they still have a few, but it's not at the level. I mean, you yeah, look at the w- world
0: West Ham world. fans will immediately throw Reese Oxford in your place in your well, face. That's true, but but, that's... but your point is, they were once the premier pro- producers of talent and. They they're still probably above average in the big scheme of things, but they're not so good that they can completely leverage that anymore.
1: Yeah, half the England team in in twenty ten probably were former uh, West Ham players, and, that and they're also the not 10.
0: producing. They're not producing Frank Lampard and Rio Ferdinand anymore.
1: Right, or even Joe Cole and Michael Carrick and Jermaine Defoe. They're not producing those kinds of uh, players. I mean, they produce all these players in about a five- or six-year period. It it was amazing. Glenn Johnson's another one, was an England regular. Uh, You could go on and on with with, with West Ham guys that have come through their system. So they have to go and get a manager from the continent who was going to be able to connect with with, with a certain type of player. And it seems like uh, they've done that successfully to this point. Uh, uh, They they had the kind of head-scratching results at – at home against uh, uh, Leicester has been very good, but the the loss to Bournemouth still st- sticks out. Uh, so the the jury is out on Village to a certain extent, but he seems to have inspired this team to have some sort of belief when they go away from home, and they're, and they're not playing passively, and they're not playing. Uh, to to get a draw.
0: Yeah, he certainly is improving. Bilic is improving on his time in Russia and Turkey. And a you know what you, you hit on a theme that seemed like a theme throughout the covers this week and how teams play away from home. Uh, maybe we can talk about that another time because I think another theme that emerges to me from West Ham's success is the depth of the Premier League. And this came up midweek because I read an article from Leander Sherlackens at Yahoo about why. England is failing in Europe, and his theory is that the competition on the weekends is just not as easy as it is in other leagues, and when teams get to midweek, they are that much more fatigued. I'm not sure if I buy that argument, but there is definitely a causation there. And especially when you look at teams like West Ham, because they are bringing in players like the Dimitri Paez of the world or the Diafra and Lanzini and Moses and Jelovic and Zerati on that team. It's a good collection of talent. But then you also look at other teams like Swansea bringing in Gomi and Ayu and Montero and a good number of players, even Southampton being able to leverage the of de And you can see why there is this middle class of the Premier League That is leveraging the rest of Europe to make things tougher for teams like Arsenal and Liverpool and City. Uh, I'm not sure if that really affects Champions League form so much, but you can definitely see why a team like City, when they're missing arguably their three most impactful players, people forget how... Good Pablo Zabaleta is because he hasn't played this right. year. We haven't talked about him. But company's influence is obvious, and David Silva might be the best player in England right now, and he was a late scratch today. So, was it really that surprising that a team without their three most impactful players loses a close match at home, one in which they were arguably the better team? I guess, Kartik, what I'm saying is I'm not too worried about Manchester City.
1: Yeah, again, Samir Nasri got the start ahead of, uh, 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 and he just, he was, he was, uh, 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 invisible. I mean, it was just very, very. Uh, oh no, sorry, Nasri yeah. did not play this game. Yeah, I'm sorry, just H- 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 Navas did, and yeah. Navas, Navas's end product was really, really poor mm-hmm. in this game. I mean, I-, I thought it might be a good, good idea to start him because you would have him, him and Sterling on opposite wings, and, and you would get a lot of space uh, and-, and some time on the ball. But that didn't happen. And what ended up happening is that he uh, completed two crosses of a se- of seventeen attempted. And we've seen <sighs> games like this from Navas before. I guess what we're finding in England, and and, um, I'm not ready to to, to jump on the bandwagon of what Leander Surlackens and other people are talking about, although I'm getting close, uh, because what what we're finding is, unlike other leagues where there are only a few teams that can afford to pay uh, a decent salary to players who might be sitting at the big clubs and not getting games, uh, in England there are teams that can offer guys playing time. Now, Mm -hmm. some, some guys are not that ambitious with their career. And once they reach a big club, they're happy getting cup games and, and the occasional run out in, in a league game. But there are a lot of guys who want to play on a regular basis and keep, uh, keep form and, and, and work their way into their national teams or whatever. And you're finding the Southamptons and the Swanseys and uh, the Aston well, not, not really Aston Villa, but West Ham uh, able to attract those guys. And certainly Everton and Spurs have been able to attract those guys for a while. So, yeah. You're, you're, you're finding a league that's becoming deeper and deeper, and it's difficult – it's becoming more difficult, I would say, for the top clubs in England to hoard players like the top clubs do in other leagues. That mm-hmm. That's definitely happening, and maybe that's what's impacting European form. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I'm beginning to get there, Richard, and thinking yeah. that that might be the reason.
0: Yeah, I'm going to keep my mind open. I, I can see that as an argument as to why we're not going to see any time in the foreseeable future – A team at the top of England have the type of seasons that Barcelona and Real Madrid have in Spain, where you're talking about 100 goal seasons and 100 point seasons. Uh, Part of that is because Barcelona and Real Madrid are just far more talented than anybody in England. But part of that is because at least in the middle of the table. I think at the bottom of the table, Spanish teams are just as good as the English teams. But now there's this depth you're talking about, Kartik, where, as before, you could really have problems with the top seven or eight teams in the league. I think that's down to like 11 or 12, at least at this early point in the season. Now, will West Ham, will Palace, will Swansea maintain that level? I think that's going to be one of the most interesting storylines of the season. But at this moment in time, it's not so surprising to see a West Ham perform so well at the Etihad and and get a well-earned victory. Um, but let's let's shift gears, Karthik. Let's talk about Southampton-Manchester United. I thought this was an incredibly entertaining game, but I think we need to go back in time till Tuesday 1st to talk about one of the more relevant things here. Um, Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw had been one of the best left backs in England uh, for the first month of the season. Uh, really unfortunate tackle by Hector Moreno. An a infinitely more unfortunate result. Luke Shaw looks like he's out until at least March Um Obviously, it's hard to see an injury like that and not express your condolences for the player and what he's going through, particularly one of that age. Uh, but Kartik on the field, this is going to have a very significant impact uh, during the game today. You know, Rojo is a nice replacement, but he's just not what we saw from Luke Shaw.
1: No, not at all. I think, in fact, uh, uh, this is going to be something that long-term really uh. impacts. Manchester United's performances. Uh, the injury was horrific. How there was no uh, uh, foul call, not a penalty, not a red card for, for Moreno. Man of the is, match, uh, Moreno. Right, who then ended up scoring the winning goal for, for PSV is, is a whole other question. I don't really want to get into that. But Luke Shaw had worked his way, right? He had a very difficult first year at yeah. Manchester United, stepping up to that level as this, this young prodigy, this player that was expect- so much was expected of uh, at, at the England level and at the club level after the season he had with Southampton two years ago under Mauricio Pochettino, he, he fights like heck. I mean, Louis van Hal had said some very uh, negative and condescending things about him in the media. He fights, I t- took that uh, mm-hmm. to to, to, um, to heart and, and fought and, and, and worked his way, showed his character into being this season thus far, maybe the best left back in English football, and – a very likely starter, I think, for England in the Euros. I think he would start ahead of Leighton Baines at this point. Uh, of course, Baines is injured too, and then that happens. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a devastating blow for the player, for the club, but he's already shown his character in how he's responded to adversity uh, when he was being questioned. And people were saying, well, how could United spend all that money? This is another English player who's hit a wall, who was good at a, at a mid-level club but not at a top club. Mm-hmm. So I think he'll bounce back from this. As far as Manchester United, uh, it's a big drop-off with Rojo,
0: no yeah. question about it. So let's talk about the actual match. Uh, Southampton had three straight clean sheets coming to this match. Looked like they were starting to get their act together, at least defensively. Uh, and Manchester United, after a real lackluster start today, uh, got Two goals from another, uh, some would say, overpriced teenager uh, at the Martial, not looking so overpriced at this point. And then they got a, a goal from Juan Mata late, uh, almost gave the lead back, but 3-2 was the final score in this one. Uh, we're seeing Manchester United string together multiple multi-goal performances, or at least we're not seeing them as inept as they were three or four weeks ago, Kartik. Uh, do you think this progress is real? How To what extent are you still worried about Manchester United's attack? I don't know how consistent they'll be. I mean, that's that's the problem. I mean, there were, uh, Maya Yoshida made
1: a horrible mistake on the mm-hmm. second goal. Uh, there, there was, was offsides a, on the first goal. There was an offside on the first goal. So it's hard to know, but I, I think p- having the ability to put Wayne Rooney back into midfield and getting him more touches on the ball, allowing him to dictate the tempo of a game is a big deal. Yeah. And that's something that Manchester United has needed uh, going forward. I think the entire season and there will continue to be complaints from people that Rooney's not scoring goals, but you see his impact on a game today when he's, when he's able to play as a number Mm. 10 or, or or at least get more touches on the ball, even if he's not playing as a pure number 10. And that, that effect impacts how the other team defends Manchester United. Uh, i Martial has been very impressive. I'm still worried about Memphis. I still prefer Ashley Young to him, I have to say.
0: Yeah, no, you and I agree on Memphis. Um, But let's go back to Wayne Rooney here, because I think I disagree with you a little bit about today's performance. I definitely think the merely having him in the withdrawn role forces a team to change how they approach Manchester United, because no matter if Wayne Rooney is playing up or playing down, you have to account for him, because his peaks are so high, as we saw during the hat trick he had earlier this year. But I thought for the most part he was somewhat invisible today. (laughs) If I were a Manchester United fan, I'd be very thankful that Juan Mata is playing that right to enroll role because you can have a number 10 that isn't truly dictating the game because you still have Juan Mata there. And maybe that's part of what makes this a good move for Louis Van Gaal, that Wayne Rooney isn't being productive enough as a striker. You can withdraw him to a number 10 role and know that you still have Juan Mata there just in case Wayne Rooney fades out of a game.
1: Yeah, and, and again, that's uh, something that is, is good, good assurance, right? Because Mata, uh, the... the, the uh, the thought on him is that he will always drift, and it's very mm-hmm. difficult to play him with a pure number ten. And when we heard Jose Mourinho's criticisms of Mata, it actually started before uh, the first Premier League game. Yeah, uh, when Mourinho returned to Chelsea, it was clear he wanted to he wanted to run the player away, and he was successful in doing that. But Van Hall has figured out a way to accommodate Mata, and it, it's it's kind of an insurance policy against Rooney because Rooney's. Uh, I, I, I agree with you, actually. Rooney's valleys are, are as uh, dramatic as his peaks, aren't they, at this point? Mm-hmm. And he's, he sometimes gets lost in these matches. The one thing I have to say about Rooney that I've noticed recently is he's not losing his composure. He's not losing his temper uh, in, uh, oh. when things aren't going well. So that, that's a very good sign for Manchester United. Maybe hmm. being the captain, he's got this, this, this yeah. leadership and he's, he's finally
0: grown up. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that at all. Uh, that that is interesting to think about. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting tactically uh for Southampton car and, and it's something that we talked about when Newcastle visited Old Trafford earlier this year, and Daryl Janman had been suspended for that, so Steve McLaren moved Chancel and Bimba out to right back and really had a successful game against uh, Memphis at a time when Manchester United was more reliant on uh, their attack down the left side than they are now. Now that Martial seems to be stepping up, and so we saw Maya Yoshida, a natural central defender, start at right back today. Uh, they dropped Cedric to the bench, who, who has been a very good right back for them. I thought that was very interesting, Kartik, and I think I wonder if teams are going to do that even more because Memphis to this point hasn't demonstrated any ability to go to his left and and want to beat somebody wide for speed. And so if you put somebody that is a good one-on-one defender there, even if he's not the quickest person in the world, and they can shade him to the outside, you really force Memphis to get off of his game. Now, I will say that it did seem like Memphis started playing a little bit more inside, dragging uh, Yoshida, well, not dragging Yoshida, but really making Yoshida to make uh, make some decisions that a right back would have to make. And I think on... um, on um, One of the Martial goals, Yoshida was in a space that he shouldn't have been because he didn't really know what he should have been doing. But I just wonder if this is a strategy that is going to be used by other teams this year as a way to neutralize Memphis.
1: Yeah, it, it looks like it will be. I mean, and, and uh, uh, Kuman put that together and it's, it's one of these things where once a Premier League manager identifies a weakness in a, in a player like Memphis, who, who seems to be at this point a one-trick pony. Uh, you can neutralize that player, and and Louis Van Gaal will have to think about making a change. Yeah. As we mentioned, Ashley Young is a, is a ready-made replacement for him, uh, pretty quickly. Now there are other managers in the Premier League who who, who don't, um, who don't necessarily think that uh, that adept tactically, and and may just uh, sure. uh, let it go. So yeah. we'll we'll see. But there will be a few. I mean, we have. Uh, we have enough tactical managers. So tactical variation in, in in the Premier League is greater than any league right now in Europe. Mm-hmm. That may be a whole other issue with uh, England's European performance, where uh, the differing styles or different differing things you're seeing in the league, uh, even more so than in Serie A. I always used to comment Serie A was fascinating for me to watch because it was like a chess match, even if the soccer wasn't very good. But <laughs> um, they, it, it, England has gotten to that point, and we're and we're seeing these sorts of sort of isolated matchups. And managers, starting players, making changes just uh, to negate a, a single player or, or, or push push a player onto the wrong foot and push them in the wrong direction in a game. And it's fascinating.
0: Before going on to our next segment, let's talk about the game's best player. Uh, we really saw what Davi Tejea does for Manchester United. 59th minute save of the season so far. Uh, yeah. Fonte beats Wayne Rooney. Uh, Wayne Rooney is covering the short corner kick. Fonte just jumps above him. Deflects what is normally just an impossible... Ball to stop, and De Gea not only stops it, but has a strong enough hand to push it um, reasonably clear of goal. And then in the 92nd minute, a great save on Vincent Wanyama. I had convinced myself midweek, Kartik, after seeing what happened at the Etihad, that despite his age and despite a swoon over the last five years or so, that over the last couple of years, Gianluigi Buffon has probably reasserted himself as the best goalkeeper in the world. After today, uh, I'm not so sure that that I it wasn't just underestimating David De Gea.
1: Well, as a shot stopper, I think De Gea is the best yes. keeper of the world. I, I've, I've said that for two seasons now. I thought even the year Manchester United finished seventh, that he was the best shot stopper in the world. I still think the distribution Neuer gives you, uh, Buffon gives you some, some, some leadership and organizational skills and traits uh, that De Gea lacks. Uh, and as I said, Neuer, I think distribution is much better than De Gea's. I would probably give a slight edge to both of those guys mm-hmm. in the overall thing, but... If we're talking about shot stopping, and that's what we were just talking about, there's no one better on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. And that that save on Font uh, uh, in the uh, in uh, close to the 60th minute was unbelievable. That is that is so difficult, and he didn't even it, it looked somewhat effortless. Yeah, uh, compared to the way other other <laughs> he just think. he
0: just went into the matrix. He's leaning backwards, his hands just kind of like slow motion gets behind the ball and just pushes it clear in a way that we don't see other goalkeepers do.
1: Yeah, and this is uh. This is a a huge kind of turn in the narrative of the season because I think Mm. those of us who analyze these things have to look at Manchester United completely different with David De Gea back in the team, back-starting, and and thinking there are going to be a lot of games like this where they get peppered. We've talked about how poor their back line is at times, and and Smalling is now injured. That They're going to get peppered in in, in some matches, and uh, the dam may not break.
0: You mentioned Manuel Neuer. Let's take this chance to uh, take our first jump into Europe, and we'll start in Germany where, with the possible exception of Chelsea and Arsenal, the weekend's biggest match took place. It took place in Westphalia where Roger Schmidt and Bayer were visiting Borussia Dortmund. Uh, As our listeners surely know, BVB came into the weekend with a perfect record, the most goals in the Bundesliga, but what we hadn't really covered was Leverkusen's slow start. They made the trip to Dortmund having lost two in a row, including a home loss to newly promoted Darmstadt. Uh, Perhaps predictably, it was all Dortmund. Goals from Jonas Hoffman, Shinji Kagawa, and a league-leading sixth goal of the season from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang gave Dortmund a 3-0 win, their spot at the top of the table, and a perfect 5-0-0 start. Elsewhere in Germany, Wolfsburg stayed undefeated with a 2-0 win over Hertha. Cold Ingolstadt, Mainz all won, but obviously the other big game was Bayerns. Bayerns is always one of the big games. They were at Darmstadt coming off of that victory at Leverkusen previously unbeaten, newly promoted Darmstadt. And then Bayern elected not to start Robert Lewandowski, Mehdi Benatia, Phil- Philip Lahm, Xavi Alonso, Thomas Mueller, Ayan Robin Frank Ribéry. Some of those players were injured, but none of those players were in the starting lineup. Bayern still can Got 50, uh, 77% of the ball They outshot Darmstadt 18-5 to And they won 3-0 So a pretty p- typical Bayern weekend um, Small factory that came up during the broadcast today Bayern has not lost A league game before Germany's Christmas break Since 2012 That could be made up for all I know But it seems pretty believable when you watch them wow. play Uh, Elsewhere, let's go to France. PSG is still undefeated, but they're falling back into their old ways. They drew a second match in a row, this time at Reims, 1-1. Stade Rennes were held by Lille on Friday, so PSG keeps their place at the top of the table. But Saint-Étienne, with their fourth winner in a row, is also just one point back of PSG. They won 2-0 over Nantes. Uh, There's a rumor that there's another big game in France today, Olympique uh, Lyonnais at Marseille. Uh, possibly that doesn't exist because apparently they're playing while recording. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Kartik, you always watch a couple of Bundesliga matches a weekend. Uh, Your thoughts on the results at the top of the table. It certainly appears that Dortmund is not going away.
1: No, Dortmund is not going away, which is good news. I think for every neutral, Uh, although it seems like half the German media and half the German all uh, German fans in the United States all uh, support Bayern. So mm-hmm. uh, fans of that league, but uh, for the rest of us, we have BVB and we've been riding them for a couple of years. Yeah. Quite frankly, and uh, Tuchel has done a great job. Aubameyang uh, has been has just turned into this out of sight player. Yeah. Mikatarian is playing at at a at a high level again this season. He was very poor last season. Kagawa is is playing uh, at. He's getting back to the level he was at a few seasons ago. I wouldn't say he's quite there yet. Um, the Manchester United excursion mm-hmm. has impacted his confidence. A- and they're not breaking at the back. I'm still concerned about Dortmund's back line <laughs> long term. And uh, saw, saw Socrates actually played midweek in the, in the uh, Europa League for them. And, and he, he actually had a, a pretty decent game, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, one other takeaway from, from the leagues you mentioned, I, I want to uh, say that the, the Champions League has become very boring and predictable, which is uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern are your top three teams every year in whatever order. Uh- That might change if Laurent Blanc were finally sacked by PSG. yeah, Because they have the capability of being that fourth team and kind of mixing it up a little bit. Uh, But I don't think it's going to happen as long as he's the manager.
0: Yeah, at least at this stage of the tournament, I think it is pretty boring. You know that games involving those teams aren't even going to be very interesting. Barcelona obviously didn't win midweek. But I don't think we all were really that concerned or care that much that they drew at Roma off of a great recall by Alessandro Florenzi. But... You know those three teams are definitely going to be in the quarterfinals. Each year there's going to be a Juventus or a Dortmund or an Atletico that can compete a little bit. Of course, we're not mentioning any English teams here. So there is there is some variability. But those three teams have been in the semifinals uh, I, each of the last two years. And I it might extend beyond that. So uh, there maybe uh, is a little bit less intrigued than we were like at this point of the season um, the other thing that we forgot to mention in Germany you know we fall, we fall in love with Borussia Dortmund and last year Borussia Mönchengladbach captured a lot of hearts well Borussia Mönchengladbach had their coach Lucien Favre Kind of the it coach in Germany since Klopp left, or even before then. He tried to resign today uh, after another poor result for Gladbach. Gladbach's board rejected that resignation, so it remains to be seen uh, what will happen to last year's darlings that are at the bottom of the Bundesliga right now. Uh, I I have to
1: mention, I have to point out that Villarreal uh, one season was in Champions League and got relegated that same season. Mm -hmm. And Mucha Gladbach is... The worst team in in the top flight in Germany right now, and it's not it's not even really no. close. No, as, ba- uh, as far as performances are concerned. Now there are other teams that uh, have gotten off the poor starts also, but uh, they don't have a point, yeah. and they don't they, they haven't been competitive in any of the matches. So mm-hmm. uh, there's something very very wrong, and it's it's, it's worrying because they're a club that. They were the other big club in the 1970s beside uh, uh, Munich. And uh, Hamburg has always been a big club, HSV. And then they went into this period of decline. They were, uh, they were a yo-yo club for a while in, in the 2000s when we had an American goalkeeper there, Casey Keller, actually. And um, they then reestablished themselves as a Bundesliga side, and, and, and they, uh, a Bundesliga one side, and then eventually a side that could qualify for European competition regularly, mm-hmm. which is what they've done the last few years. Now, it looks like it's all coming apart rather quickly. So that that's something to monitor for, for fans of continental football.
0: Well, two, two things that I always remember about Gladbach. They lost Max Kruse to Wolfsburg, and yes. Christoph Kramer's loan was not renewed. So you're talking about two of the best players on that team that didn't come back. They also got last year's Champions League spot in a year that both Schalke and Dortmund uh, had down years. So there was some natural regression to happen here anyway, but uh, they're... If you look at the underlying numbers, this is not like Dortmund last year where Dortmund was just getting off to an unlucky start in addition to not being as good as they normally are. This team's just bad. This team is not generating chances, and they're giving up too many chances. Um, But, Kartik, let's switch back to the Premier League. Let's talk about our Players of the Week. I'm going to go first here because uh, this one might hurt you a little bit as a true blue supporter. Seeing what West Ham did this weekend... I'm giving this to Winston Reed, and and it seems a little bit weird to single out one person from that defense, and if you were, you could certainly single out Adrian, but on a weekend when we're talking about teams that lack leadership at the back, he and John Stones really stood out to me, and I could have given this to John Stones too because he had a very authoritative performance for Everton, but... Everton was not under the pressure that West Ham was under today. And to see Winston Reed's constant presence in that back line as the person that is the linchpin there, the person that has been there for five years now, I believe. He came there right after the 2010 World Cup. Somebody that has weathered the different ups and downs of the team, the coaching changes, and has become a linchpin in that team. It was almost as if that performance on Saturday was kind of a a spotlight on the progress that he has made, but also a reward for the club that has stuck with a player who, when he first came in, he was starting at fullback occasionally. Eventually he earned a spot in central defense and now he's one of the key players on the team. And he and the team got a great reward for that on Saturday. So I'm going with Winston Reed.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, that choice. I think Winston Reed, remember the, the season they were under Avram Grant right after he had done so well with New Zealand in the world cup. And he was a mess as was the whole team. And mm-hmm. uh, he's really turned into a, a premier league keeper, uh, of sorts, as a, as a uh, central defender, I'm going to go with an odd choice, and this is a storyline choice. Uh, Saidi Bar- Barahino. Now, of course, I just I, I think maybe I'm going with him because I want to talk about the situation a little bit more. Uh, not that we've not done that the last several weeks, but uh, Barahino, I, um, I. I obviously we've seen lots of immaturity from young players through since uh twitter became an issue and our co-host <laughs> lawrence mckenna uh, talks about twitter a lot and how it's really changed the, the sport of football and and i think we all feel that way and, and players are in power the first time we saw the power was when darren bent uh, essentially demanded a transfer out of spurs mm. and said i don't want to go to hull i don't want to go to uh, some other lower low, lower level club i want to go or in perception, they were all Premier League clubs. But I don't want to go to Burnley. I don't want to go to Hull. I want to go to uh, to Sunderland because Sunderland can afford to play players more. So he got his wish. He ended up going to Sunderland. But we saw the power of Twitter. What Barahino did on transfer deadline day was, was stunning. Uh, and But he's a kid, and he thought maybe this was his opportunity. Spurs really wanted him. Spurs felt like they really needed him, and they could really use him. I think having a manager like Tony Pulis, who's been through – these sorts of battles before I calmed the player down. He probably put his arm around Berahino after and said, "Look, your your quarrels with uh, the management, it's with uh, uh, Mr. Peace, the owner, but I'm still your manager, and uh, you're probably eventually going to move on from this club to, uh, to, to, to 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 the next level, the Spurs, Everton, Arsenal, Man City, whatever level that that next tier of clubs, and I'm going to help you get there." But you need to buy in. You need to change your attitude. You will get your chances. Uh, And this football club needs you. And Berahino, of course, joined West Brom when he was 11 or 12 years old, uh, uh, son of refugees, uh, growing up in the Birmingham area and the West Midlands area. That's his local club. He's come through their system. He's turned into this fantastic player. I I think it would have been really unfortunate if he had left the club the way it looked like he would leave the club, which was demanding a move, uh, sulking, for uh blackmailing and uh and and leaving a club that that he had been with since he was a, a kid so At least now he'll get a season and maybe some goodwill from the supporters, and then he can move on. So I was happy to see him score that goal. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, One thing before we move on to talking about some of the rest of the games, I want to give a brief shout-out to uh, Wes Morgan and Eunice Kabul, who made all of our Uh weekends much more interesting with some very uh, curious defending. So curious that I can't even include Maya Yoshida in this category because those (laughs) two were such standout performers and we, we really rarely see this from West Morgan, whereas Eunice Kabul has had a very poor year all around. Um, Karthik, let's talk about Liverpool versus Norwich. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have to talk about
0: this game we did uh this was the this was the last game i watched this weekend and i think by the time i got to it i was maybe over football because i did not like this game at all but most of the intrigue with this game comes before the match because brendan rogers has switched formation he's going to three at the he went to three at the back again he brought in some players that we haven't seen for a while uh, moreno as the left wing back um, mamadou Sako taking Devin Devin lovrin's spot uh we saw Emery chan move back into the back line I don't know what to make of this, Karthik. Uh, maybe you can argue that this is a team that needed a little bit of a shakeup and he's going back to something that's worked. Uh, maybe you can argue that this is just something Brendan Rodgers does every year because he's not really certain about things. I just I saw this, and it took me a long time to really see some of the positives of this. I think not having Moreno as a typical fullback in a box 4 is a positive. I think kind of having a three-on-three matchup with Sturridge, who was back in the starting lineup today, Benteke, who left at halftime, and Coutinho against uh, a trident in the middle for Norwich is good. Uh, but just the uncertainty that these moves bring, I just, it, it feels weird to me and it feels like a lack of confidence.
1: It feels forced and it feels like Liverpool is going nowhere. That's really what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, this was a terrible performance, Uh but- I, I think in some ways Liverpool was fortunate to get a result, even though they created more chances. They have not played well once this season. So now we're six matches into the season. They haven't played well once. They've gotten some results. The Bournemouth game, uh, they, we know that there were two controversial calls, and it's very possible Bournemouth would have gotten three points and would have just been a draw. Uh, the Stoke game, uh, magic from Coutinho at the end after a really poor performance, uh, today was awful. They, they looked confused in that, in that formation, uh, storage isn't quite to match sharpness yet you would you would expect that uh coutinho i think was confused about his role and 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 where he was he was a lot he was a lot to pop and, and
0: up and missed a golden chance late uh,
1: yeah well that was that was interesting because i he, he he took it and um he could have played that ball centrally he could have done the type of thing that we would expect him to do uh in in, in that situation which is pull pull back play uh Find the guy making the run. I think it was Danny Ings actually making that run or chip the keeper. It was just yeah. uh, or Ruddy the, made a good save, but it was yeah. just, it was a, a Ruddy, Ruddy was lack said of he could
0: he could just played it with the outside of his right foot and then it would have had an open goal. And it, you're right, it just looked like a lack of confidence. And like you mentioned, Danny Ings was one of the few bright spots today, and he could have been running onto a ball. I think Kartik, this is starting to feel like when Roy Hodgson was at Anfield. Nothing's going forward. The atmosphere at Anfield today was terrible. It was like the whole crowd was silent waiting for the team to do something and it wasn't doing anything. It's a crowd that has expectations based on what the team did two years ago, based on the team's history, based on the money that has been spent on this roster, and they can't put together even a team that's worth cheering for. For half an hour, I could have told you that Anfield was half empty. It was just humming from the crowd the whole time, and I'm starting to Think that this looks like a situation where management is going to go? There's a lack of enthusiasm. There's a lack of direction, and Jurgen Klopp is out there.
1: Yeah, and Klopp, uh, according to uh, to kicker or build or somebody this week, said that he would be open to the Liverpool job. Made it pretty clear. Uh, was that was that last week? It, it was during maybe mm-hmm. it was during the international break, but it was uh, uh, no, it was after the Manchester United result. It was the next day. So yeah, it was in the last week. It, Rodgers is on a really short leash. I, this, uh, th- there's just a malaise. There's a bad feeling around the club. It, it seems like we know what we're going to get when we watch Liverpool. We don't see any uh, energy or enthusiasm from the team. There's confusion about tactics because he tinkers so much with the tactics. I think they almost have too deep a squad up front. I mean, they have mm. too many guys. They have more attacking – they have more viable, good attacking players right now, Liverpool – this may sound ridiculous to our listeners, but I'm going to throw it out there. Then the clubs we think are going to be in the top four, yeah. the Man United, Man City, Chelsea, or uh, Arsenal. I
0: don't, I don't think that's ridiculous at all. Manchester United and Arsenal, we've been saying all year that they need more attacking. And Manchester United obviously went out and got Martial. Chelsea is dependent on Costa and his style of play up top. So I think you can say that Liverpool has more options up there. City, you can... You can say they have more talent, but I think their talent is more in versatility than anything else. I think they obviously are very dependent on Aguero. But once you lose him, you can start Boney, which they have, or you're moving Sterling or Silva as a false nine. But I I don't think that's controversial at all. I think Rodgers really does need to be doing more with the team he has. And I think that's part of the reason why Fenway Sports Group is probably a little bit suspect of the man they have right now.
1: Yeah, and they gave him a big budget to spend. Yes, he sold uh, uh, sold, uh, Sterling for a lot of money to Man City. But then they spent... Uh, I think maybe twice that on attacking players. If you if you consider they had to pay a tribunal mm-hmm. for Danny Ings, so that was five million, seven million, something like that to Burnley. And then on top of that, you've got a situation with uh, guys like uh, uh, Firmino mm-hmm. and Nketiah, where arguably they overpaid for both because mm-hmm. they were desperate for attackers. They still have Sturridge. They they have Ings, as I mentioned. They've got Adam Lallana playing in, in, in a confusing role where he's, he's never set in his role from week to week, if he plays yeah. at all. Coutinho, I, I, it's just uh, Origi is a guy that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's gotten a run out. I, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of players there, yeah. and maybe he, he's lost a dressing room. It, it's the kind of thing where you, you could see if a guy like Klopp came in. Klopp never had this kind of depth at Dortmund where they could go on a tear. Yeah, in, in a league which is very competitive, and and everyone's beating everybody else, and they could they they could emerge as a uh, top four club or even a, a title favorite mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, with the kind of cl- uh, uh, squad they have. But instead, right now they're a mid table team. They look bad. They don't look interested. A lot of their players. I think Moreno played well today. I'll give I'll give yeah. him that. He brought him in that wing back role, and he had a good game. But they. Um, they I, I, I don't think it's much longer, Richard. I, I mean, I think it might be the next international break for Rodgers. He might be gone at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm starting I'm starting to put my chips on that bet, too. Uh, let's move on to a slightly more positive turn uh, for a team that was expected to compete at the fringes of the front, uh, top four, like Liverpool. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, probably the biggest problems that we would have identified with them a few weeks ago are lack of depth behind Harry Kane, or at least lack of options, and then overall, just their attack, not producing enough goals. Enter Sun Hyun Min. Uh, Min's son started as a number nine this week, got two goals in Europa League, started behind the striker today, and on Tottenham's goal really showed some promise linking up with uh, returning Christian Eriksen. And if you see that goal, although maybe the goalkeeper could have done better on that, uh, Palace really needs Julian Spironi back, uh, you see that goal, and you see a really bright rest of the season for Tottenham. Um,
1: I think what... It's been lost in the narrative about Spurs and them misfiring and Harry Keane not getting goals and Ericsson being hurt. Is that defensively they have been really strong? Lloris is the second best goalkeeper in this league behind uh, Mm. uh, De Gea, in my opinion. I I would put Joe Hart a close third, but I think uh, Lloris is is an elite keeper and he's the kind of keeper that uh, both Czech and Courtois aren't anymore. I mean, they're maybe close, but so they've got an elite keeper. Their their central defense pairing has worked in in recent games. Yeah, I agree with that. All the has, has has really come on strong, okay. and uh, putting Eric Dyer in that uh, holding midfield role, uh, the few times Pochettino has done it, has worked. He moves the ball quickly. He can he can win mm-hmm. tackles. He can he can change uh, play uh, really quickly. And so I think defensively they're good enough that if Sun uh, continues to to pr- produce. And when Erickson gets back, they're going to be in this race for the top four. I felt before the season they would be. They started poorly. I began to hesitate. But now I see the Pochettino experiment coming. Oh, and, and Deli Ale. Let yeah. me mention him. He's another young player. That This is why you stick with Mauricio Pochettino, even though Spurs have, has a history of sacking managers quickly. I think Daniel Levy knows that this is a manager that will leverage the number of young players they have and give them opportunities and teach them. So that he uh, puts, you know, the type of season last season that would have gotten another manager at Spurs fired, right? He would have gotten mm. the sack. But there's a lot of faith in, in him bringing players through the system, just like he did at Southampton, just like he did at Espanol. And it's uh, it's working. And he, he, I think this team is going to be pretty good the way they're going, and next season they could be very good if they can keep the team together.
0: And between the emergencies or the the strong play of Dali Ali and Eric Dyer, they were actually able to change up their formation this week and not go with two holders. Part of that is Ryan Mason being out. Part of that is uh, Ben Taleb not being good anymore. Uh, but they were yeah. able to change that up. See that Crystal Palace is a team that wants you to you know they want to be able to come on to you a little bit so they were able to front load their formation a little bit uh pl- really make cr- punish crystal palace for uh playing the way they do and it was probably the worst that Palace has looked this year. I thought it was a, a nice little tweak to get the best players on the field, really leverage what Dyer is doing in the middle. And although it was one nothing today, I think, except for a small stint at the beginning of the second half, it always looks like it was Spurs' game uh, to get the first goal. Yeah. Um Let's talk about Stokelona. Stokelona uh. had another game, got up two goals. Although, uh, some interesting defending... um on the second one, especially, but even the first one, where a nice run by John Walters ends up uh, disorganizing Huth and uh, Wes Morgan for Boyan's first goal of the season, Lester comes back again. Uh, so there are two. There are two things to talk about here. One, the continued troubles of Stoke, even when they have a good performance for a period of time, they still don't get full points. And for the second week in a lo- row, Lester has gone on the road against a less. What we would perceive at this point a lesser team, given up two goals and had to come back.
1: I. This is the sort of result that just makes you think this is a totally different league than it has been in the pre in previous years. This in previous seasons, and I am again coming into this week. I was using the logic of previous seasons is the most predictable game. Stoke is struggling. Leicester's punching above their weight. It's at the Britannia. Stoke's going to win this game, right? That is the most predictable mm-hmm. thing, and there are always these corrections. Uh, early in the season after a mm-hmm. team starts starts Sto- well.
0: Stoke should be m- incredibly motivated to win this one.
1: Right. There, and there are always corrections and results that happen uh, throughout the course of the season, especially when a team has started like Leicester. So then 2-0, Stoke is playing very well in the first half, and I thought, okay, this is exactly what we expected. And Leicester comes back and if anything, they could have won the game. Uh, it is mm-hmm. uh, it is shocking uh, what what's happening at Stoke defensively. There's some sort of a uh, lack of belief in that dressing room. There's uh, uh, obviously Charlie Adam and Affolay both being suspended have hurt them, but they've got Boyan back now, and he played well.
0: But they, but they have Jeff Cameron and Mark Wilson in central defense. Do, I mean, objectively, do we think that is a central defense that in this in this Premier League that we are saying is getting more competitive in the part of the table that Stoke has has been one of the better teams in over the last two or three years. Do we really right. think that central defense? I mean, obviously Shawcross is going to come back eventually, but that central defense—do we think? I mean, on the second goal, it was ridiculous. Both of the guys jumped into midfield to play a ball that neither of them win, and Vardy just goes in for the goal.
1: Yeah, Shawcross is uh, is badly needed and, and, and sorely missed, and that that's uh, that, that that goes without saying. But it, it's just even having the, the the composure to see out a game, the composure to, 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 keep, to keep the lead. There's some, something not right in midfield. And I, I think uh, yeah. Shakiri hasn't really bet in yet. Uh, the way, way, way Mark Hughes would have hoped and certainly Athali hasn't. And then, then he got suspended. I think ultimately when Charlie Adam gets back, he's a critical player for them. And then obviously shot, Shaw, cross, they'll get better, but mm-hmm. uh, this is not the team I expected on the flip side. Leicester, they just continue to do it. This is uh this is insane. In the last 15 Premier League games, they have lost once.
0: Yeah. Only other defeated team in the Premier League right now. Let's talk about one more game before going uh, back to Europe, because I think there's not going to be much to talk about with Swansea and Everton. Not that it was a bad game. I found it entertaining to watch. Just nothing really happened. Bafatimi Gomez had some chances he could have leveraged in the first half. Everton maybe created the better chances throughout the match. thought the nil-nil scoreline was probably fair to both sides, even if... Maybe it looks like some of the shine that we put on Swansea over the last four or five games is starting to come off a little bit right now.
1: Yeah, it is beginning to come off, actually. I I, I thought that Everton played very well in this game. I thought they were the better team. Mm-hmm. And a uh, very, very tidy performance from Everton uh, at the back. Uh, John Stone's, again, another excellent performance. So the transfer yeah. uh, saga has, has not impacted his play one bit. Ashley and-
0: Williams played really well. If it wasn't for him, Everton might have gotten full points.
1: Right, yeah, and Ashley Williams continues to play well, and that's uh, one that's of the a more underrated
0: defenders in the league, really.
1: Right, and that's a very good sign for for Wales as they attempt to qualify for your Euro- uh, for Europe. He's captain of the Welsh team, obviously captain of Swansea, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a uh, that's important for Swansea to continue to keep clean sheets because they have been susceptible at, at, at the back in, at times. But uh, it seems like they've run out of steam. They had this this this. this uh, Impressive run of results to start the season, but uh, Everton we have to talk about because I think Roberto Martinez now has this belief uh, instilled in the squad, with the exception of Kevin Morales, who made a complete fool of himself coming <laughs> on, getting sent off.
0: Uh, I, th- yeah, I thought it was uh, foolish in a funny way, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, but they're all they're all playing um, they're all playing well together, yeah. which they didn't do last season, and maybe maybe it gets in your head that you have these extra fixtures and you in Europe and, and it's going to impact your Premier League performance because it, it seems mm-hmm. to happen to a team every year. Uh, it happened to Everton last season, but they look like a completely different side this season. They look like a fresh side. They look en- uh, energetic and enthusiastic every time I see them play. So uh, they're going to they're going to push on and they're going to yeah. be very good. And this, again, I, I don't want to get too far afield here, but this, this is why maybe Fenway Sports Group has to think about uh, making the uh, change soon with Rodgers because both Everton and Spurs... Uh, in spite of some lingering doubts about them, have now come good or beginning to come good this Mm -hmm. season, which puts Liverpool in a terrible position where they could be finishing, if they don't get it going, they could be finishing seventh or eighth or something like that.
0: Yeah, um, no, it, it's, it's not change. inconceivable at all based on how they're playing, uh, based on what they did last year, based on what we see from other teams, that they could finish really middle of the table. I, I don't think at this point, even though we're seeing some of the shine is coming off Swansea, we would be terribly surprised if Swansea finished a place above Liverpool at the end of the year. Um, Kartik, let's... Let's shift back to Europe for a second, and let's go to Italy, where there was another huge shock this weekend. Juventus, four-time defending champions, winless in three league games so far this sh- season, actually did a very Juve thing. They won a game. They won a league game, everybody. Uh, own goal in the first half, Paul Pogba from the spot in the second, a 2-0 win at G- Genoa. They finally get into the win column this sh- so far. Unfortunately for them, the team that's setting the pace in Serie A, Inter Milan, had a very Roberto Mancini-esque result. A 1-0 win at Chievo. <laughs> it was the Flying Donkeys' first loss of the season, so don't want to minimize the value of that 1-0, particularly since Inter is still perfect through four. Uh They've only had five goals scored against them, which is what you might expect when you're starting a midfield that features both Felipe Melo and Jeffrey Condangbia. But obviously working for El Mancho there, Inter already with, uh, I believe, an eight-point lead on Juventus. Um, Roma drew at home, uh, disappointing result against Sassuolo. Milan beat Palermo, uh, where Carlos Baca is looking very good. Uh, I think the key thing for Juventus, Max Allegri has switched to a 4-3-3, one that can really leverage Juan cardrato. Whether that works or not might determine if they have time to keep catch-up to enter.
1: For Milan, uh, with Baca playing that well there's a lingering question on where you fit Mario Balotelli in. You have yeah. to fit him in. There's no doubt. I mean, they, they, they don't have enough well, of a, a good enough squad not to. Uh, but they got three goals in this game. And um, the, you, the thought is that you play Balotelli in the midfield, actually, so he gets mm-hmm. more touches on the ball. But Baca's holding down that position right now. Now, you could mm-hmm. go with a 4 2 one formation which uh, maybe that's what they do
0: yeah p- perhaps uh they have to make some decision between Balotelli and Luis Adriano basically Balotelli was so good in the derby that he started this conversation whereas before there's probably acknowledgement that Baca and Adriano were going to be the two choices now Balotelli in a very big game Force himself into the conversation and the emo- the emotional moment of that too. Obviously, Baratelli is former Inter, but he's he's a uh, he's Rossaneri at heart, and so for him to come off the bench and make such an impact in that game definitely got in the mind of a lot of people. I think. Um, let's switch over to Spain. Um, Atletico bounced back from last week's loss to Barcelona with a two 0 win at Ibar, while Barcelona. Apparently, they're not playing this weekend. Or maybe they kicked off when we were recording. They really should not do that. Uh, Batiste held Valencia scoreless at the Mestalla. Sevilla got vit- vigoed by Kelta. But Real Madrid may have had the most interesting result. Granada was at the Bernabeu. Everybody expected Cristiano Ronaldo to get the goals he needed to pass wool as the all-time record scorer there. But at Granada Granada had multiple good chances in the first half. Keylor Navas came up bid. And Real Madrid didn't break through until past the hour mark. Very nice goal. East goes cross for Karim Benzema, who finished at close range. One to nothing victory for Real Madrid. Uh, it was a game where Real Madrid really was, based on last year's result, where I believe Cristiano Ronaldo had five goals. Uh, Ronaldo, Real Madrid was expected to, to move, just go away from Granada in this one. But, Kartik, when I'm watching this game, two things come to mind. One, especially compared uh, to Manchester United, who I watched today, who they're playing the same formations right now. The, the speed with which... Real Madrid move the ball is just incredible. And why that didn't translate to more goals, well, that's, that's just soccer today. It's obviously been translating to goals over the last week. But the other thing that is really interesting, and I think probably something that's going to hurt them in the long run is that Cristiano Ronaldo ostensibly is a left winger, but he's spending almost all of his time through the middle. In fact, if you look at the heat maps throughout the year, his, uh, his positioning is practically identical to Karim Benzema. Now he can do that because Karim Benzema is so good dropping back or going wide, so skilled. Marcelo can dominate that left flank. And then whether it's Isco or James Rodriguez or even Gareth Bale, you have people that are can naturally go out wide and be effective defensively. I just think that that kind of intricate dependency, allowing Cristiano Ronaldo to adjust to his age by playing more through the middle, even if ostensibly he's still starting on the left wing, all it takes is for one little chink in that armor to happen, Kartik, and you have a situation like last year where Real Madrid doesn't seem to have the depth at the end of the year to deal with that kind of uh, well, with the pressures that they're going to get at the end of this season. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Real Madrid, even if they Bar- have yet to allow a goal.
1: But Barcelona's not very deep either. So oh, this oh is, they're worse, yeah. Yeah, right. And they have, they have a major depth
0: problem. But the it. tactical dependency isn't there, though, either. I mean, obviously, you're, they're dependent on Lion- Lionel Messi being great. But we've seen flexibility that Luis Enrique has instilled in the team with those front three. And obviously... Um, Messi is somebody that can be effective coming in from the right or playing underneath the striker, playing attacking midfield as he essentially did today. But we also know that Luis Suarez covers up for so many deficiencies that you can have in attack. And just right. that dependency between Marcelo, Benzema, and whoever's playing the number 10 for Real Madrid to make up for the fact that Ronaldo has to essentially be another striker. And so often Real Madrid look like they're actually playing a 4-4-2. I just wonder if that's going to be exploited because all you need is one good right midfielder who can track Marcelo and suddenly suddenly it looks a lot different for Real Madrid.
1: Yeah, it, it very well could. And we'll see We'll see what happens in Champions League because that's uh, that's the test, right? They uh, they want that crown back. It having gone to Barcelona, it's possible it just goes between those two clubs now. I, I, I'm, and I'm serious. This isn't the, the, the venue for the conversation, but it seems like the European Cup is getting away from a competitive atmosphere, largely because of financial fair play. That's why... Uh, I'd mm-hmm. love to see PSG make a managerial change and and, and get back into it. Uh, the English clubs we've talked about, they're they are struggling. Juventus is going to struggle this season in Champions League, even though they beat Man City mm-hmm. this past week. So it seems like a three-club competition, and that's just, that's just not good for football.
0: Mm. Well, Kartik, let's move on to our top fours. For me, although I have a lot of respect for the direction Everton's going in, as you obviously do too, to me it's a clear top four. Manchester City, West Ham, Leicester, and Manchester United. Um, and maybe you'll end up disagreeing on that. I think some kind of hodgepodge on them, whatever order you elect to put them in at two through three. I think those are the four most capable teams on form right now. Uh, as far as looking out towards the end of the season, I still have the same order, but I'm really tempted to change two of the spots. Manchester City is going to win this title as of right now. Um, you can say that they don't, they don't have that much of an advantage on Chelsea, except for in the actual standings. They're still looking really good there. Between Chelsea and Manchester United, I just don't know. I think Manchester United has a team that can control games as much as anybody in the league. And you mentioned Davi De Gea coming back. And I also see that Manchester United has an upward trajectory where if they start figuring things out or players like Memphis and Rooney actually start playing to their uh, to their renown, they're actually going to be somewhat decent. Fourth place, I, I'm still putting Arsenal here just kind of as a default. But geez, it seems like there are a lot of teams that are capable of overcoming Arsenal on talent or play or form. And all it takes is for one of those teams to have a good year. One of those five or six teams in that pack. And then Arsenal will fall down. And the lack of urgency we see from Arsenal as an organization. An organization where the higher-ups in the club have to tell Arsenal, Arsene Wenger that it's okay to spend money on players like Metsuit Osel. I don't see Arsenal making big changes in January. I see them leaving themselves susceptible. And it's really going to come down to teams like Everton and Tottenham, whether they can put something together, whether Arsenal stays in the top four or not.
1: Yeah, I'm going the same top four as you. Maybe I'll go uh, Leicester second. Uh, So Man City one, Leicester two, West Ham three, Man United four. Uh, For the end of the season, Man City one, Chelsea two, Man United three. Fourth, I guess... I don't. It's so you know, hard. It's a it's a mental it's a mentality thing with Spurs, right? Because Spurs has their North London rivals. They they are not able to beat Arsenal in big matches. I don't know if that's going to change this season. But if it does, I, I would have to put them in fourth right now because I I see it yeah. coming together. Son is it, it, it has is come good right away. We knew he was a big signing. Yeah. I, when Erickson gets back, they're going to be even better. And defensively, they look so solid. Yeah. And and the young players are producing. I. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll go Spurs fourth this week.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, you mentioned they're going to have Kane, Erickson, and Son as people that are going to definitely be there as, as far as their attack is concerned. And as for that other spot, they have the versatility of selecting Chadley or Dembele or Lamea. Lamella. Yeah. Um, they've proved Lamella's
1: they... beginning to play well, by the way. that yeah. hasn't been talked about much in the English press because he's been written off as a bust, and it's tough to change that narrative uh, three years down the road. But he's uh Pochettino's getting a little bit out of his compatriot now and I, I think uh I, I like the look of spurts
0: yeah so, so do I, I. Really... and I think Alderweire has turned into a very very good acquisition for. I, I think it was 12 million euros which will turn out to be a very good buy Karnak I'm just gonna throw some of these other games at you let you quick hit them uh Villa Tim Sherwood put a lot of stock in these two derbies coming oh. up West Brom's visit and then Birmingham City midweek uh the attack just was non-existent to this weekend
1: yeah, and and uh, we're at a point in in history which is uh, pretty pivotal in the West Midlands. Where now, over the course of a number of seasons, West Brom has been equi- an equivalent or better club than Aston Villa on the field, and that mm. that's just unprecedented. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, it, it's getting very frustrating for Villa fans. And it's not Tim Sherwood's fault; he inherited this. But losing to West mm. Brom at Villa Park, which now has happened a few times, is is just not an acceptable result if you're a Villa supporter. You you are the big club. West Brom is the small club that's five miles down the road.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: that's, it hasn't played out that way the last five or six seasons.
0: Mm, yeah, well, they're following Birmingham City's example, I guess. Uh, at this point, it would not be surprising to see Aston Villa go down, nor would it be surprising to see Sunderland go down. Callum Wilson gets his name <sighs> back on the score sheet for the first time since uh, the visit to the bowling ground. Matt Ritchie with a great goal, a great strike for Bournemouth's goal, second goal. But both those goals happen within nine minutes. Sunderland loses 2-0 at Bournemouth. Uh, Boy, you, you hate to say a team is a lost cause this early in the season, but there, there is no silver lining to Sunderland right now.
1: Yeah, I just wish Dick Advocad, great manager, uh, who's, who's managed all over the world, wasn't going out this way. It's just terrible. Maybe maybe he'll resign soon, yeah. and and there'll yeah. be someone else's problem.
0: Yeah, he he made this choice. Uh, last game of the weekend that we ha- well the one we haven't talked about: Newcastle, Watford. We've been a little bit forgiving of Newcastle because I think we want to believe that McLaren is slowly putting the pieces together. Watford has Watford played exactly like we would expect them to. Newcastle just wasn't wasn't up to the challenge.
1: Yeah, Kiki uh, Sanchez Flores has got a an interesting team there. He's got a, a core of players. Uh, of a few players that were very good for them in the championship. And then he's added some players from the continent who are playing well in roles. And then in, in Hilaria Gomez, he had he had a, a a goalkeeper. Obviously, he didn't have the goalkeeper because he wasn't there last season. But uh, Watford had a goalkeeper that, that helped get the promotion yeah. and has Premier League experience. And that's showing, too. Gomez has made a, a, a big save in every game I've watched of Watford this season, which I think I've watched him three or four times already. So Yeah, you forget uh, how
0: quick he is off his line. And once he is, just how big he is, too.
1: Yeah and and so Gomez is a, is a big factor he's an experienced goalkeeper teams that come up that are promoted to the Premier League generally don't have goalkeepers that have that much Premier League experience Ooh. so uh that that's a pretty big deal i i like the way Watford is playing uh getting forward uh Troy Deeney is has has hit a slump goal scoring wise but he's finding other people he's getting other people involved and leading so uh, Watford looked very good on, on the Newcastle side. I, I don't know what to say. This is this could be the year Newcastle and Sunderland go down, and Borough comes up, <laughs> and there's still football in that part of the world. So there's league football in that part of the world.
0: Newcastle, Sunderland, and Aston Villa all go down the same year. That would be remarkable. Three of really probably the top 12 biggest clubs in England. Yeah. Uh, okay, mid, mid midweek, League Cup, uh, not All the Premier League teams are entering in the third round. So your team, your favorite team is in action. There are three, four Premier League versus Premier League matchups. Leicester City versus West Ham is going to be one of the best ones. That's third and fourth in the league. Uh, Sunderland is hosting Manchester City. Norwich is hosting West Brom, but the one everybody's going to be talking about. Kartik, Spurs versus Arsenal at White Hart Lane. Arsenal obviously reeling after the last two results. Spurs have a lot to be encouraged about, whether it be Suns' performances or Christian Eriksen now being healthy. Christian Eriksen looks like he's in line to start because he only came off the bench today. Uh, this is going to be a very big one to cement the momentum of either team or both teams, or it could be one of those narrative-correcting ones.
1: Yeah, it could be the narrative-correcting one where Arsenal, again, win and, and eliminate Spurs from a, a competition. Uh, that having been said, talking to Spurs fans, and I, I talk to a lot of them, there seems to be a sense this season that uh, they, they've had this issue in the past with Europa League having deep runs in Europa League, go, uh, going to the final the League Cup of uh, this competition last season. They got they made it to Wembley to the final hmm. when they lost to Chelsea. And that, that has impacted them, and they finish fifth every season. Uh, and, and it's unmistakable. They ha, they seem to play hmm. more games than just about anyone in England, and they finish fifth every season. So um, maybe they get eliminated uh, here, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Not, against the, not to Arsenal. Arsenal. Wait for the Arsenal. fourth round. That's exactly what I was there, I was going to switch to. Uh, that was the segue I was going to make. If it were against any other opponent, I don't think they'd be bothered. But they can't lose to Arsenal again. I mean, their record against Arsenal the last two seasons has been really poor. Uh, and and it, there was a point in time uh, a few years ago when the ABB's first year at, at Spurs, when Arsenal was struggling that season. And we really felt like that switch was finally happening in North London, that change. And it didn't happen. And and, then Spurs fell further back and fell into crisis and cycled through managers since then. And Arsenal seem again, at least coming into this season, Mm. like a title contender. So this could be a a massive game in the third round of the League Cup. Or it could Mm. be nothing. Because I, I remind you that this round, two seasons ago, Manchester United played Liverpool. We were saying the same things. And this could be a narrative corrector. Manchester United won. And we said, okay, Liverpool, it's kind of a false start and Manchester United under Moyes will come good. Well, guess what? United, uh, Liverpool pushed for the title till the last day, and Manchester United finished seventh, and Moyes wasn't even around on the last
0: day. Kartik Leicester, West Ham, two teams that, based on their talent level and how they're playing, you could say, wow, they, they might really have a chance to win this competition, but they're playing each other midweek. And for me, if I'm Ranieri or if I'm Slavin Bilic, I look at this as, you know, if we go all out, and I put these guys on short rest, it could really compromise this hot start we have to the season. And if I'm prioritizing one or the other, I'm looking to maintain the continuity I, ha- I have to start the season.
1: I, yeah, I agree. I think uh, though Leicester is not a very deep team and, and, and Ranieri may, um, may have a, a more of a dilemma about what to do. Uh, West Ham does have some depth. They do have some guys. Andy Carroll needs a game, for instance. I mean,
0: so, <laughs> Andy um, Carroll and Maro Zerotti starting up top.
1: Yeah, and Zerotti has, has uh, gotten more of a look this season than he did previously, mm-hmm. uh, but he's still uh, further down the pecking order, so they, I think I give West Ham the advantage because of that. They may be able to rotate a little better than Leicester.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to let those results go by. We can't have a podcast every day but we'll be back with you next Sunday talking about the next match day in the Premier League Uh, probably touching on the League Cup matches a little bit but we'll be resolving a lot of these narratives that we've uh, just drummed up a little bit more be it Arsenal Chelsea Spurs or Liverpool but until then I'm Richard Farley Kartik
1: enjoy your football
0: The World Soccer Talk podcast is produced by Christopher Harris and Richard Farley and is a production of WorldSoccerTalk.com. For more information on the show, check us out at WorldSoccerTalk.com or subscribe through our iTunes feed. You can follow World Soccer Talk on Twitter at World Soccer Talk or follow the show's hosts. Lawrence McKenna is at Lawscast. Kartik Krishnar is at KKFLA737. And I'm at Richard Farley.